button, right? Um, yeah, unfortunately, life doesn't have a reset button. Not really. Um, when it says game over, you don't just like, oh, okay, well, let's get another life and let's do this again. Um, when things go wrong, you can't hit the uh, back button or the delete or um, what is the, uh, what's the, the, the game? Um, I, I play a, a solitaire game on my smartphone and, you know, you get to that point and you're like, oh, no. And so you go back and you, what is that little button? The, the redo or the, you know, you know, undo. Is it undo? Yeah. Okay. Maddie, who's eight years old, she knows all about these smartphone things. So the undo, 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 undo. Oh, there's, there was my mistake. That's where I made the mistake. Okay, I'll redo that. And, but that's not the way life is, though, is it? It's not like that. So, um, I mean, consider some of the things that um, probably maybe some of you uh, have gone through, and I know some friends of ours and um, some in our church have gone through. Consider some of these experiences. Death of a loved one. Maybe sudden. Maybe expected. But we go through those experiences, right? Um, Chronic sickness. Anyone dealing with that? Or... Difficult family relationships. Cancer. How about a job transition? Even an expected job transition can be a stressor in somebody's life. The birth of a child can be a stressor in somebody's life, even though it's a joy, and, but it comes with its own brand of suffering and pain. Right? Right? Job transitions, acute pain even. Maybe it's just for a short period of time and then it goes away. But still we go through these difficult experiences, right? It's the human experience. Suffering just kind of seems to be part of the package of being a human being. But how do we handle those things, right? How do we, how do we respond to them and, and what hope do we have in the midst of suffering? Well, that's the kind of questions that um, I want us to answer today as we look at Psalm 38. Psalm 38 really offers us um, a hope that when we seek God in the midst of those circumstances and those situations, we can find salvation at our worst. We can find salvation at our worst. So, let me read aloud and I'll invite you to follow along. We're at Psalm 38. Uh, if you are looking at one of the Bibles in the pew, or under the pew, or it's not really a pew, is it? Under the chairs, um, you'll, find, um, you'll find it on page 467. Follow along as I read aloud. Psalm 38, a psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning. 
and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good. Accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Let's pray. Father, It's hard not to uh, be moved by the experience of the psalmist. The situation that he is in, the pain, the suffering that he's in, and his desire to, to be delivered from it, to be saved from it. And Father, we know that you're the only one who can save. Lord, as we... um, As we look more closely at this psalm, God, help us to to be moved as well. Move not just in a moment to have a religious or emotional experience, but Lord, to be moved to respond to your grace, to respond to your offer of salvation, and to walk out of here changed and transformed and bearing the good news of transformation for others as well. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 38. Psalm 38, we've been looking at some kind of hard psalms the last few weeks, haven't we? Probably wondering, when are we going to get to some happy stuff? Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming, folks, right? Sunday is coming. Well, when you're reading these psalms, it's a good idea, um, as you're reading them, to, to have some idea of, what, ca- what type of psalm you're reading. It's a good idea to, to know what type of literature you're reading or genre that you're reading in the Bible as well because there are all kinds of... There are stories, there are parables, there are... What's the word? Proverbs. Yes, Proverbs. There are pro- there's prophecy. There is direct teaching. Um, in the psalms, the psalms are no different. They're, they're not all the same. Ryan, we don't all, all sing the same kind of songs in church either. Sometimes we sing songs of response. Sometimes we sing about Jesus. Sometimes our songs are an expression of, of our desire to follow Him, right? Well, there's a lot of, type, a lot of types of psalms. There's um, wisdom psalms. We saw that in Psalm 1 back at the beginning of January. Psalm 1's a wisdom psalm. Um, we see that if you look to the very last psalm, Psalm 150, that's a psalm of praise. A, a, a song that they would just lift up in praise um, to God. 
one of the most common types of psalms, and uh, we haven't really talked about this much in the last few weeks as I've been preaching through, but one of the most common types of psalm is the lament. A lament. When we, we cry out over the, the things that are going wrong, um, things we're suffering, pains that we're going through, and we cry out and we call out to God and say, God, help us. Help us in this situation. Did you know there's more psalms categorized as a lament in the book of Psalms than any other psalms? And we think of it as sing a new song, song, praise the Lord, praise the Lord all the earth. And they're all, those are some of our favorites. We love those. And they're in there. But there are more lament psalms than any other category of psalm. It's interesting. And this is one of them. This is a lament that, that has a... Um, a penitential quality to it. In other words, it is a psalm, uh, a lament that, that he not only laments over his suffering, but he acknowledges that he's sinful, that he needs to repent of his sin, and that the suffering that he's experiencing um, is somehow related to his own sin. And he recognizes that he needs to repent, and he needs call on God for not only help, but also for forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's what we've been looking at on the last um, few Sundays as I've been preaching. And um, you, you even heard a lament psalm last week as well, in Psalm 40, as Matt brought the word to us then. So, here we are in Psalm 38. Let me show you let, let, let me just identify with you three main ideas in this text. So we'll just kind of walk our way through Psalm 38. First of all, um, the psalmist wants us to know that when we are at our worst, we are separated from God. When things are really, really bad around us, and we are at our worst personally, it causes separation from God. Look what he says in verse 1. Two in following. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Discipline me in your wrath. He says, your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down to me. He's, his first concern is not with his own individual, um, let, me, let me describe my symptoms to you or um, let, me, let, me ex- let me express how, um, how awful things are to me, how you've been unfair to me. But he says, actually, I'm concerned that, God, you're angry with me. That, God, your wrath is on me. He wants to avoid the rebuke. He wants to avoid the discipline. And his experience is like as if he's in war with God. That's what the arrows have sunk into me. Uh, It's... I lined up on one side, and God, you lined up on the other side, and you shot your arrows at me, and guess what? I'm lying on the battlefield I've got arrows all in me. I'm dying here. I'm dying here, God. Your hand, your, your hand has defeated him. The, or, or the psalmist experienced that, that your hand has come down on me. God, you've defeated me. You've struck me down. Um, he is upset in verses 3 and 4. He's upset uh, about God's indignation of his sin. And he's upset of his own sin. He says, "My health and my bone. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. His iniquities. He said that that is his guilt. 
the things that he's done that have caused him to have guilt before God. Maybe a guilty conscience, but more, more precisely, the, the, the real, legal, justified guilt because of what he's done. He says there, it's like, it's like an over, it's gone over his head. It's like a flood that's covered his head. Like the floodwaters came and I'm drowning here, God. And then in the, in the next phrase, he describes his iniquities like a heavy burden. We saw that a few weeks ago. The burden of sin. And these are his experiences. Look at look how else he describes these. He talks about these all these physical manifestations of what's going on in his life. His wounds stink and fester, but it's because of his foolishness. Not because he got a contagious disease. It's because of his foolishness. And he's, he's bowed down and he's prostrate. He's humbled. He, it's like he can't stand up straight. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. <laughs> Probably. My back went out. Okay, I got... Alright, I don't know when I'll be able to stand up straight again. His sides are filled with burning. Uh, he's feeble and crushed. He groans. His sign, his heart throbs. It's literally, literally like his heart is racing. It's... The word is used to express traveling or going around. It's like, I, that's how I describe it. His heart's throbbing or palpitating. It's like going on a little trip. And I'm not, pretty, I'm not very happy about how my heart is just taken off like this. His strength fails him and his vision is going as well. All of these things are going on in the psalmist's life. Now before, uh, he, maybe the psalmist is experiencing some physical illness. Maybe he's going through some sickness. Many of you can probably identify with a lot of these symptoms. Like, I felt that before. Yep, I've gone through that. I've experienced that. But remember too that while these are physical descriptions, they could also just as easily describe emotional or mental or spiritual problems in a poetic way as the psalmist and the, and the Hebrew poets are want to do. Remember that the Hebrew poetry is full of these, this kind of imagery and these figures of speech. So it really has a very wide application. You know, who should read or pray a psalm like Psalm 38? Anybody. <laughs> Anybody who's experienced any kind of Physical suffering, mental or emotional or physical pain or suffering. Anybody can read this psalm. And I'm glad that the psalmist decided to write the psalm as he did. So that every one of us could identify with it. And identify with him. But I want, to note, I want you to note something about where this pain and this suffering comes from. What did the psalmist say was the result or the, the, excuse me, the cause of all of this, all of these problems that he was having? Sin. Sin. Sin was the cause of these problems that he's having. He's having, or he's experiencing. He says it's the Lord's rebuke. His discipline. He says there's no health in my bones because of my sin. And my iniquities have overwhelmed me, have gone over my head. Sin equals separation. Sin has caused this separation from God. 
That's what he's experiencing here. He's experiencing separation from God. He's experiencing these other (laughs) manifestations as well. But at the root of it, he realizes that his sin is causing separation from God. And God is disciplining him. He's rebuking him. He's angry with him. He's indignant with him. Sin equals separation. Separation equals suffering. Suffering equals discipline. And actually, discipline, as we see from the rest of Scripture, and I'm going to show you a passage in Hebrews in a second, discipline equals holiness. How many of you have ever been um, disciplined by maybe a father or mother? Some maybe too harshly. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Maybe some of us too harshly. Some of us have experienced maybe discipline um, that we shouldn't have experienced in the way we did. Um, Others of us got exactly what we deserved. (laughs) I remember a time uh, when I was was a boy, I might have been... I don't know, I might have been Maddie's age, eight or nine years old, maybe. Um, and I remember one day after school, um, hanging out in the garage, and it was kind of getting near the end of the afternoon. It must have been fall or spring sometime, because it felt like it was getting late, um, getting dark. And my dad wasn't home yet from, from the day, and I uh, found some uh, a hammer and some nails in my in my uh, dad's tools and in the garage. And I thought, huh, I wonder what I could do with these. And, um, and this is just really weird and it's kind of silly, but um, there was this kind of dirt, hard dirt patch um, on the ground right next to the driveway. And I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hammer it into the wall or into the car or into the tires of the car or into a piece of wood, because I didn't get permission for that. But my dad never said anything about not hammering nails into the ground. So I'll just go ahead and hammer these nails into this really hard ground. It'll be kind of fun to hammer. So I did, put five or six in there. It was a silly thing. But I remember distinctly after doing that, thinking, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Because I probably shouldn't have been using his tools without permission. And he's probably going to look at this and he's going to go, Why are there nails in my ground? I know that because I've thought that as an adult too, as a father too. And I've had those kinds of reactions. My girls are silent. Okay, thank you girls. Thank you. Um, Well, I, I remember going to bed, or not going to bed, but I remember going into the house thinking, Oh no, I shouldn't have done that. Oh no. And sure enough, when my dad got home, comes into the, through the garage door and he's like, why are there nails in the ground next to the driveway? I think I was in my room at that time. And uh, I knew I was going to get in trouble. And I knew that suffering was going to be in my future, probably by his belt, if I remember correctly. Um, the form of discipline that is not very pleasant Wouldn't it be easier if we could be disciplined in really gentle ways? But sometimes we don't always, we don't learn lessons that way. Sometimes discipline has to come through T 
teaching that sin has consequences. That's one thing I learned there. Also, I, when we're disciplined, in, in that case, it taught me the difference between right and wrong. Okay? It's right not to do something. It's wrong to do it. That's the way, um, that's the way discipline works, right? So, what are you experiencing right now in your life? What are you experiencing and going through that maybe God is using as a form of discipline? Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't just assume that every bad thing that's going on in your life is because God is up there throwing down his lightning bolts going, up. Oh, you messed up. Boom, boom. Gotcha. But, I mean, he may, he may be disciplining us. He may be sending pain into our lives. He may be sending sickness into our, our lives on purpose. Or he may not. Maybe it's just in his sovereignty, he's allowing things to happen. But he never allows anything to happen unless it's for our good. Unless it's for our good. We, like the psalmist and like the writers of the, of the, of the inspired writers of the Bible, um, need to recognize that God is in control of all things. And that God has a purpose in everything. Remember that, that He cares a lot more about our holiness than He cares about our happiness. He cares a lot more about our holiness than our happiness. And his ultimate goal for you personally is for you to become transformed or changed into the image of his son, Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this, Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or disheartened. Are you going through difficult circumstances? Don't grow weary in that. Don't be disheartened. Don't be faint-hearted. Hebrew, writer of Hebrews goes on, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, at least that was the case for his readers. It may not be the case for some of us or those that we know or believers in other places right now. And he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are all illegitimate children. If you are not being disciplined, you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live or and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. That we may share His holiness. That we may be made holy through those experiences. We are not alone, first of all, in our suffering. There is one who suffered for us. 
And when we're in the midst of our pain and our suffering, we, mu- we should recall and we should consider that Jesus also suffered and died for us. So, what do we do? We repent. We reject any sin that we're aware of. And we seek holiness as the writer of Hebrews says that we may share in His holiness. That means we embrace the li- a life of obedience. Embrace a life of obedience. Embrace the life that, ca- that God has created us for. But let's turn to something else. When we are at our worst, we are, are we only separated from God? Are we only separated from God? No, actually. Notice that the psalmist says that when we are at our worst, we are separated from other people. Other people. We can be separated from other people when they shun us. Look at what's happened here. My friends and companions stand aloof. My nearest kin stand far off. They don't want to have anything to do with me, he says. They're shunning me. They're rejecting me. He says, those who seek my life lay their snares. They seek my hurt. They speak ruin. They meditate treachery. They're not only avoiding me, but they're actually actively coming against me. They're trying to get, (laughs) they're seeking my hurt, or actually the word is often translated evil. They're trying to seek my evil. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever, I hope never experienced it, but probably have, you've heard somebody say, I don't really want to hang out with somebody like that. Or, I don't need that kind of drama in my life. Or, she's a hot mess. Maybe he's a hot mess too. Have you heard that stuff? I don't want to have anything to do with that. Or, careful, she might be contagious. Maybe that attitude's contagious. Maybe that disease is contagious. Maybe that whatever. Maybe that poverty is contagious. I don't know what it is. We've heard it. How quickly friends or colleagues can turn on others, right? When they have trouble. Um, when someone goes through an illness, it's a lot easier to just kind of not hang around them than to sacrifice time and energy, um, offering comfort or com- compassion for somebody. It's a lot easier to say, yeah, well, you're going through that. Sorry, be healthy and well-fed, and I'm going to go on my way. When someone's socioeconomic situation changes, it's a lot easier to cut them out of your social circle than to risk your own status in life, hanging with them. But before we start to point those fingers at other people, say, oh yeah, other people have done that, you know, um, have you ever said those things to somebody else? Have you ever had that attitude towards somebody else? Have you ever treated somebody like an outsider? Because... You didn't want to have anything to do with their problems? Or have you ever gloated over another person's misfortune? Or said, I saw that coming when they failed at something? Well, we could be separated from people when they shun us. But look at verses 13 and 14. We can be separated from other people when we hide from them. When we hide out from other people. Psalmist said he's like a deaf man and he's like a mute man. No communication going on here. 
between him and other people. He shut himself off from others. He doesn't want to hear what other people have to say to him about anything, but especially not about his own situation. He doesn't want to talk about his situation with other people. He'd rather just keep it to himself. See, our culture celebrates the self-made man, right? We, uh, we have John Wayne, and we have James Bond, 007, and we have John McClane, Die Hard, right? Okay, we've got Die Hard. We've got the Highlander. That's for you, Bill. We've got the Lone Ranger. Well, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, though, right? But still, we think of the Lone Ranger, you know. It's, he's on his own. He's doing his thing. We idolize those. Those are the heroes in our culture. But that's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is not an action hero movie where all you need is Schwarzenegger and you can, you can nail him. Actually, the Christian life is a whole lot more like the Expendables. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but whoa, what a, what a, what a yeah, some, there's some crazy stuff. It's a whole lot more like that than it is the lone action hero movie. It's a group of people. It's a team. It's, it's, a, it's a war. It's a lot more like Band of Brothers. We need each other. We need each other. When our lives, um, uh, our lives depend not only on Christ in us, but they also, they also depend on the brother or sister next to us in the foxhole. That's why we do life together. That's why we gather together and worship. That's why the writer of Hebrews, uh, just pr- prior to that passage, he's talking about Jesus and his suffering. He said, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's not do that. Don't give up on that habit. We need each other. We're not called to either shun others or to hide out from them. We're called to share our lives with each other. What burdens are you sharing? Or, excuse me, are you carrying? What burdens do you need to share with another person? What sins are you struggling with that you need to confess to a friend and say, I'm struggling with this. I've been struggling with this a long time and I don't want to talk about it because it embarrasses me makes me look bad, but I need to talk about it because I need you to pray for me and I need your encouragement and I need your help. Who are you keeping from being close to you? Who are you standing far off from? Or are you being mute and silent and maybe you need to be the one who opens up and becomes the friend? When we're at our worst, we're separated from God and we're separated from other people, but it doesn't have to remain that way. Because when we are at our worst, we can find salvation from God. We can find. And I want to emphasize can. Can I do that? (laughs) I put that word in there for a purpose. We can find salvation from God, but a lot of times we don't want to seek out God. And for some weird reason, we think, we think, well, we're just suffering. We'll just suffer in silence. We allow our sin to define us. We allow our issues to define us. Like, that's who we are. That's who I am. Just get over it, people. Accept it. That's who I am. And we begin to believe that too. That's not who we were created to be. We need to seek the truth that the psalm reveals and that God's word reveals. That we're much more than that. And that we were created for more than that. The psalmist looks to Yahweh, the Lord. He waits for him in verses 15 
and 16, those, those lines there. He is confident that God will hear his cry and he will respond. He doesn't hide from his sin. He's not afraid to talk about his suffering. He's ready to fall. His pain is ever before him, he says. But he says, I will confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm going to give this stuff up. He recognizes that other people are going to ridicule him. (laughs) They may mock him for believing that God can save him, that God can do something about it. He describes his enemies. They're vigorous. They're mighty. They, They hate me wrongfully. They render me evil for good. In verse 20, they accuse me because I follow after good. So what does the psalmist do? Look what he says in verses 21 and 22. Do not forsake me. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me. These three cries to God, these three appeals to Him are punctuated by these three names of God. Oh Lord, with in our English Bibles, almost always has the capital letters, O Lord, with capital letters. That's the personal covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh. And then the word God, G-O-D, is the word, the Hebrew word Elohim. And he says, Oh my God, this is the Father who's the creator of the universe. And knows Him. And then, O Lord, not with the capital letters, but with the small letters, is that word Adonai. The Hebrew word Adonai. God the Master. God the Sovereign over my life. Lord, help me. Notice how the psalm ends. (laughs) Does it end with the circumstances changed? Does it end with everything all worked out? Does it end with him saying, Thank you, God, for rescuing me. Thank you for bringing me out of the suffering. Thank you for healing my sickness. Actually, no, it doesn't. But it ends with him expressing his hope and his faith in God. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that story? These three young Hebrew men who were in Babylon at the time. That story reminds us that when we're at our worst, we can find salvation from God. Those three men were threatened. They'd be burned to death, right? They'd be thrown into the fiery furnace. If they didn't bow down and worship God, King Nebuchadnezzar as if he was God. They refused to do it. They wouldn't do it. They refused to worship him as king. And Daniel 3, verses 16 and following, says this. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Their confidence and their hope and their faith was fully in God. God can save me when I'm at my worst. But what did they say after that? But if not, but what if he doesn't? 
What if he doesn't save you from your problems? What if he doesn't heal your sickness? What if he doesn't give you the job you're looking for? What if he doesn't get you that house that you want? What if he doesn't supply the health insurance that you want to have? What if he doesn't do all of those things? What if he doesn't grow your church? What if he doesn't save your neighbors? Or your friends? Or your father? Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Whether they would be rescued or not, they still place their hope in the only one who could save them. Who is the only one who can take away your sins? God. That's right. Who's the only one who can, who can relieve you of your suffering? God. Who alone loves us when we are at our worst? That's right. That's exactly right. And there is no salvation, or there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So said the apostles. That's Jesus. No other name under heaven but by Jesus. We must look to Jesus. How should we respond to this word today? How should we respond to this psalm? Uh, first of all, don't let your sins, your failures, mistakes, problems, uh, keep you from seeking God through His Son, Jesus. They don't define your life. The issues that you're going through don't define your life. Jesus does. Seek Him out. Seek God. Keep gathering together for worship. Get into community with each other. That's why we meet in our missional communities. Not to check a box. It's not because, well, we got to do that stuff because that's what churches do. Well, actually, yeah, that is what churches do. They live life together because that's what we're called to be. A community on mission. So we do do that. But let's keep doing that. Keep connecting. Keep learning. Keep reading. Keep studying the Bible. Keep praying. Don't give up then be willing to talk about these things. Be willing to talk about your own worst sins. Be, be willing to talk with others when you're going through difficult times. Seek out a friend. Be a friend. Don't be like the companions who stood aloof. Don't be like the ones who, who tore people down because they were going through difficult times. Be aware, too, of how others are dealing with with their problems, with their own failures, with their own mistakes or problems. Be ready to offer the hope of Jesus. Remember our vision. What is it? Transform lives, families, and communities with what? The good news of Jesus. Are we ready to share that? <laughs> if you're not sharing the good news of Jesus, then they will have no hope. And there will be no hope of them ever changing. Tell them how God has saved you and how He is saving you day after day after day. O oh Lord, my salvation, says the psalmist. That's who we serve. And that's who we follow. That's who our, where our hope is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for 
Thank you for saving us. Thank you for offering us Jesus. That if we would only reach out with the empty hands of faith, that's all we can do. We cannot do anything else. We can't save us ourselves. We can't change our, our personal circumstances, no matter what the world tells us about how we can be better, do better. God, those things are just an illusion. They will not, they will not bring us closer to you, and they really won't bring us closer to each other. Only your grace can do that. So we, we hold out the empty hands of faith and ask to receive from you what only you can give. Meaning, help, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond um, today by receiving... Um, sometimes we talk about taking communion, but we're actually receiving. <laughs> we're receiving from God when we come to the table. And so um, I want us to uh, do that. As we do that, um, we do that in a prayerful um, spirit. Um, it'll, Paul the Apostle tells us to examine ourselves before we come to the table. Um, he's not saying that you know, make sure that you've confessed all your sins and that you are perfect and holy before you come to the table. But we should examine ourselves. What is our attitude in coming? Um, there are times when we take communion where maybe it's appropriate um, for a season to, to refrain and say, I need to fast. I need to seek the Lord. I need to maybe do some time, a time of repentance. Um, but it's a, it should be a joyful time. We celebrate the communion. We celebrate um, the Lord and His death and His resurrection until He comes again. So as we receive the communion, as we receive the bread and the wine, um, I ask you to do that prayerfully and um, respectfully, and you can just file through um, when and as you feel led to do that. Um, remind you that the communion is a time for the church and for um, those who have faith in Christ and have uh, been invited, in, or not invited in, but have been baptized into um, God's church family to take it. And so I'll let you decide whether or not you should at this time come for that. But let's stand. A song is going to play and we will sing along and then you take communion as uh, you feel led.